This is the Horse Radio Network. Episode 4 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Anything is possible, no matter the challenges. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. I am Glenn the Geek. And I'm Helena B. And this is the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, I think, Helena, before we get started today, we should uh, send our best out to everybody who spent the weekend evacuated in Louisiana and Mississippi and down south there. We hope they go back and find their farms in one piece and they can bring their horses back home. Absolutely. I, I They didn't take a direct hit this time, but they took enough of a hit where it's interrupted quite a few lives. Yeah, and you know, I, I was a little disappointed in the, the news coverage. We watched most of the day on Monday, and all they showed was New Orleans, yet the other parts of the state were getting really nailed, you know, and there was a lot of damage apparently in the other parts of the state, but you don't hear anything about that. Mm, well, that's the typical media, I guess. Yeah. So, and then we have another one, looks like, coming this weekend, and several more behind it, so... I hope everybody stays safe and uh, gets out when they have to. Now, I haven't been paying attention to the weather lately. Where are the other um, hurricanes located? Uh, Hannah is supposed to hit the eastern coast of Florida today. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, eastern coast of Florida or the Carolinas, uh, not sure yet. Ooh. We hope that everybody stays safe. And uh, we have a lot of stuff going on in the show today. So I guess we'll get started. That's right. Coming up on today's show, we have a very busy news week. Uh, we've got local news, international news, and all kinds of news. Uh, we also have a great interview with a woman named Anastasia Burke, who is an author, a writer, an instructor, and absolutely a true inspiration to everyone, horse enthusiasts and non-horse people combined. I think yeah. you'll really find her, her story a a nice one. Yeah, I think uh, everybody will be inspired after hearing after hearing her story and and what what she's been through, and how she's handled it. It's just been it's a it's a remarkable story. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'm going to get us started with the news. This is a little bit of local news from up here in the Northeast. Uh, we have we had the 108th Myopia Horse Show here in Hamilton, Mass. This past weekend. There was a little bit of scandal. Unfortunately, uh, a fellow by the name of Tom Friedrichs, who operates Verdon Stables in Merrimack, Massachusetts, lost both his ribbon and his prize money at the horse show this week. Now, what uh, kind of horse show was it? It's um, it was uh, a hunter horse show. It was a horse show that basically sponsors the um or supports the myopia hunt. So uh, there were hunter courses, hunter classes, jumper classes, and something that's relatively new is a derby cross. But we can't call it a derby cross because the term derby cross has actually been registered. Okay. So we called it the myopia cross. Okay. 
And if for those of you who don't know what a derby cross is, it's essentially it's a relay race. It's three riders, and they do a specially designed course. It's a combination of um, fixed permanent fences like you'd find in a cross-country eventing course and stadium jumps and it's timed so you have to do a clear round and you have to do it the fastest and it's set to music oh wow and it, and then there's three of them like a relay race it's like a relay race right so the first rider goes and obviously they try to make a clear round in the fastest time and as they come around to the last jump the next rider goes no baton so the, huh no baton okay. but they cross through the finish line and it's it's really kind of cool to see the strategy about how they switch off from one rider to the next. Wow, that's um, cool. It's really exciting. It's like you can scream and holler as they go by. <laughs> well, it's neat. I, I haven't seen one of those before. It is so much fun. It's for a, From a spectator's perspective, it's a really good class to watch. Oh, cool. So, I, in fact, we kind of felt a little bit more like we were at a football game than a horse show. <laughs> so this fellow, Tom Friedrichs, he's um, – a trainer and he's got his own stable up here in mass and it was himself and two teenage riders that were part of his team they ended up tom was riding a stallion a big gray stallion they took first place but at the end of their round in this the, class in this class in, you're talking in the about derby, right and yep. it, there was actually fifteen hundred dollars in prize money which made it even more exciting okay but turns out that the judges noticed um that tom's horse was bleeding um on both sides of the girth and they're first instinct was to think that it was from excessive use of his spurs and they asked him to come over and bring his horse so that the veterinarian could inspect it and it was concluded without hesitation that mr friedrichs actually caused his horse to bleed through excessive use of his spurs hmm, and it was probably more noticeable you said he had a gray horse yeah. yeah and it was pretty bad too it was there was a lot of blood this wasn't just a little rub mark it was a lot of blood and um so what they do they stripped his ribbon and the prize money. Wow. And it was a little bit scandalous, but there was absolutely no hesitation from the vet that this was caused by, it was basically rider abuse. And we've seen this guy around. He's been banned from more than a few sanctioned events. And the Myopia Horse Show is a non-sanctioned event. It's not rated. It's a local show. Um, So he was able to participate, but there have been from my knowing this man's activities in this area, he he and his stable have been banned from sanctioned events. So uh, now he's banned from any future events that are put on by the Myopia Hunt. Man, it's it's actually kind of sad for the kids riding there, you know, oh, with him. It's, it's horrible. You know. And, and you know, there's there are rules in the rule book in the USEF rule book. There are there's a very specific rule. It's under cruelty and abuse of the horse. And it's actually called the letting of blood, except for diagnostic purposes. Okay. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get any more clear than that. But because this was not a sanctioned event, the only thing that the um, the show organizers could do was take away his ribbon and his prize money. Well, they did the right thing. They did. And, you know, I would be interested to hear from some of our listeners, you know, if given the opportunity to get this man's attention and talk to him, what might you say to him about this situation? Leave us a voicemail. Send us an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, some people might take the perspective of the guy probably just needs to be educated. And some people may take the perspective that the guy needs to be taken out back and taught a lesson. Right, right. Now, obviously, we don't want to condone that. But I would be interested to hear some people's ideas of how to get through to somebody like this and get them to understand it's not okay to do this to your horse. 
Well, hopefully this this was embarrassing enough to uh, to at least wake him up a little bit. Yeah, cross your fingers. All right, and on the eventing front, this is an exciting week. We have the Burley Horse Trials starting tomorrow. It, of course, is the fourth in the HSBC FEI Classic Series. That's five. What that is is five uh, events that happen around the world that all of the riders uh, that win those events and, and get like second, third, fourth, and fifth each get points towards this series championship. Right now, the series championship is being led by William Fox Pitt from the UK, Philip Dutton's number two. Nicholas uh, Tazant from France is number three, and Rebecca Holder uh, from the USA is number four. All right. So that's how it stands right now. Burley, I've never been there, but everybody I've talked to who has been there said it's one of the most beautiful events ever. And, of course, the location is beautiful. It's at the Burley Castle, which... Uh, if you don't know what that's like, you can go to our blog at stablescoop.com. There's a picture and a couple of blog entries of the Burley Castle. I did find some fun stats here coming up to the show. There are more than 5,875 man-hours are involved in setting everything up and taking it down for the show. Wow. This is a four-star, right? This is a four-star, right. Okay. And and the I, I should have said that the uh, HSBC FEI Classic Series is all four-star events. What does it's, HSBC... That's a bank. It's the sponsor. Is it a, a company? It's a bank. Yes. The bank. Oh, yep. sorry. Okay. Yep. So they're a bank that are that's sponsoring it. And there's actually a lot of prize money. There's there's over four, three, four years. They're donating like a million dollars. The winner of this series gets $150,000. So there's a good bit of money here, especially in eventing dollars. That's a good bit of money. Eventing wow. tends to have less money than 100 jumpers or, or jumpers do. Um, so that's a good good amount of money for eventers. Do they, they don't do um, prize money for Rolex, do they? Y- yes. I think they, Rolex is $50,000. So this is way right. out. This is like serious money. Yeah, if you get the serious championship, you're, you're taking home some bucks. Nice. Um, good, good for news for eventers. Yeah, anyway, finally, finally paying for that expensive sport. <laughs> um, a couple other interesting stats here from Burley. They, they uh, have over one or over three miles of rope to for the parking lot areas and on saturday of the event they have 140 acres just in parked vehicles and does that include trailers uh, no this is just the spectators they they get a huge amount of spectators at this thing they uh also have a dog show in which 600 dogs participate and i you know the dog shows that have or the horse shows that have the dog shows with them like fairhill does that in maryland they're always a lot more fun because there's just a lot of activity going on. You have yeah. the dogs walking around and all the people that come to watch the dogs and then all the people that are watching the horses. And it just adds an, a new dimension to an already fun day. Yeah. You know, it yeah. just it and just it gets adds everybody involved. It. Right. Now, so even if you're not riding, you can have a little fun with you by showing your dog. I always spent more time over at the dog stuff, uh, but that's because I'm a horse husband. So <laughs> uh, Now, one of my favorite things about the Burley was the amount of food being eaten o- over there. They expect to serve 11,000 baguettes, one and a half tons of pork. Oh, my God. Yeah, 7,000 glasses of Pims, which is apparently a drink that they, they drink in uh, England. 40,000 cups of tea and coffee and 50,000 bottles of other drink. So 
there's your statistics for Burley coming up, and I'm sure everybody's looking forward to having a great time there. I think a, one and a half tons of pork, that's a big one. That's a lot of pigs. That's <laughs> a lot of pigs. That's <laughs> a lot of pork. So so that's what's going on at Burley, and we'll, I'm sure, next week be talking about who won. Yeah, and we've got the link. We'll post the link up to um, the horse trials online uh, on in the show notes. Okay, great. All right, we also have the Hampton Classic, which ran uh, last weekend, and we've got the youngest rider in the 33 history, 33 year history of the show to win the class, and that was Hillary Dobbs. It was a two hundred thousand dollar FTI Grand Prix. And uh, so we say congratulations to Hillary. Um, interestingly, Hillary doesn't hasn't done just horses. She also has an education. Uh, she is a Harvard University junior, so she's got some brains to go along with her athletic ability. And uh, we'd like to say congratulations to Hillary for a job well done. From what I hear about uh, Hillary, she's also just a very nice person. She's very cordial, and uh, you know I've heard her in interviews, and she just seems like a very nice kid. You know? Yeah, just down to earth, yeah. friendly. You know. Yep. Just and, like the rest of us, loves her horses. And, and you know, it was interesting. She was the only the second person to win Friday's Grand Prix qualifier there and then turn around and win this, this Sunday Grand Prix. Right. So she, she, and she was only one of five that was clear in the jump off so on, on Sunday. So she did a good job. Uh, she's actually, she's the one everybody's talking about right now. There's a whole, there's a really good crop of youngsters coming up in, in the jumper field right now. That's good. So that's a, that's a discipline that we want to keep an eye on. And you know, it's, the jumpers are popular, you know, over in the Olympics. I mean, we're gold medal winners. Somehow our, um, the U.S. jumping team really seems to be staying on top. I mean, the, the eventers, you know, and dressage, they're always right up there as well. But for some reason, show jumping seems to be our thing. So I think that's the discipline to watch over the next couple of years, especially with the WEG games coming up. Yes. And, you know, we should mention the name of a horse. We're sometimes lax at doing that. And we, we have to be better about that. But she uh, she actually won on Corlette, and that's a German-bred mare. Uh, and also, on Saturday, she rode another horse, Marengo. She she actually won uh, the national championship, the Classics National Championship on Saturday on Marengo. So she had a pretty good weekend. Right. And that so that wasn't a fluke. She's really a consistent up-and-coming rider. Right. Right. And from that, we congratulate Hillary and then go on to go on to, to Brooklyn, New York City, where <laughs> this is only a funny story because nobody got hurt. And being a driver, I've had this happen to me, being a horse driver, that is, I've had this happen to me and not with not with the size carriage that they had here. And it's a very scary thing. What happened was there was a horse drawn, one of the horse drawn buggies that goes through the cities and everybody knows them. They're the big white ones. Um, the vis-a-vis uh, that were was going through the city. Well, apparently they were going to pick up a wedding party, the bride, for a wedding, and they were about a block away when something gave way underneath the buggy. A piece of the buggy gave way. It hit the horses in the butt. They were it was a pair, a pair of uh, grays, and the horses bolted and they took off apparently down the street like 
took off. I have to quote this article right here. It says they were, they were a block away from the wedding, uh, but before she could get in, a wooden bar into the buggy snapped, striking one of the horses in the rear. Then it was off to the races. That's how they <laughs> described in the article. The buggy driver tells the post, I held onto the reins with my body off to the side of the carriage as the horses wildly dragged him down 12th Avenue towards 66th Street. They jumped onto a car waiting at a traffic light. The horses did. Oh, my God. Shattering the windshield, nearly knocking the buggy driver loose. But he managed to hold on through all of this. The horses jumped onto a car. But he managed to hold on long enough to steer the wagon. He steered it into a traffic pole. Explaining my only choice was to direct the horses in a direction that could prevent someone from getting hurt. Because you got to remember, this is Brooklyn. This is a busy. There's people walking everywhere. It's it's. Uh, I think it was Saturday. There's people walking everywhere. So he just ran them into a pole. I've got. I'll put pictures up on the show notes. Okay. There's actually pictures of the carriage, and it got pretty smashed up. My mouth uh, is wide open right now. I know. Sitting to this. Now was the bride in the buggy this whole no, time? No, no. They should, they, they hadn't gotten there yet. They did. They did talk to her, and uh, she. She decided to go through with the wedding anyway, <laughs> despite the <laughs> ominous symbolism of the incident, the, the article said. <laughs> uh, the article was just kind of funny how it was written. The reporter obviously had a sense of humor. And the reason he had a sense of humor is nobody was hurt. The horses are fine. They had a couple cuts and bruises on their legs, but everybody was fine. So, And the, the buggy driver uh, did sustain a little bit of an injury to his face. But all things considered, this ended up as good as it could have ended up in the middle of a city. Yep. I actually well, got to drive my pony. We were on a, uh, we used to belong to a carriage club, the Lancaster Carriage Club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we go on drives every weekend in different places. Well, they used to do a drive every year in Philadelphia, right in the city, in the park at the city. Well, to get to the park, we had to park across the street and down the block. So we parked down the block and you had to drive your buggy through the stoplights in the middle of the city. Four lanes, the whole thing, in the, pa- in the turn lane, and you had to drive your buggies one by one up through there to get to the park where the drive actually started. So I've had this experience of driving in a city. It's it's interesting experience. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I just don't think that cities and horses mix at all on any <laughs> level. If, you're, if they can be born and raised and ridden in a park, that's one thing, but you're just getting them. You have to drive through a major metropolitan area. I, no way. Couldn't do it. And you know what? I just yet one more reason to say horses and buggies don't belong in the city. I know there's I'm probably going to get totally flamed for this. But yeah, I just you're don't probably going to get emails. I, I, that's fine. I, I personally don't believe it. I just it's just not fair because horses do what horses do. Things break. They spook. I don't right. care how dead broke your horse is. Something happens. And I had the know, pleasure. This, this guy was lucky that nobody got hurt. He's yes. lucky his horses didn't get hurt. Yes, this was a lucky incident here. I actually had, I lived in Lancaster City, or I worked in Lancaster City right on the square. So I got a different story here, but I got to watch the police horses at work all the time because they had quite a few there. And uh, it was amazing to watch the police horses work in the city to chase people down and. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? There's a difference and, there. There's yes, a difference there is a definite between, difference. That's a working horse. This horse isn't, his job isn't to make money. And I guess that's what the problem is, is when you put a horse in a city environment like that, their job is to make money. And at the end of the day, the money always wins out. When somebody has to make a decision based on the horse's welfare, it's a hard decision to make because it's either what goes into their pocket or what goes into their horse's best interest. And in my opinion, it's never the horse's best interest that wins out. All right. You're answering the emails for that one, you know. That's fine. (laughs) Bring it on. Bring it on. (laughs) But a police horse – 
there's no money to be made there. They have a job to do. And they're also, you know, I, I just think that their care takes on a more, if this is the right word, more altruistic meaning. Yes, and I do hope I hope to have somebody on. Uh, uh, I know several people who are policemen that are, are uh, equine cops, so we hope to have one of them on here one of these days to talk about it and to t- to tell his stories here. Yeah, that would be a really cool interview. Yeah, I'd I like think to hear more be fun. about that. All right, and now on to a more serious subject: uh, is the Equestrian Olympics uh, so- are sort of in peril for 2012. Everybody just assumes that all of these sports that have been in for a long time stay in. That's not necessarily the case. And that right now, it looks like according to, according to Princess Haya, who is the FEI, what is she? The president of the FEI. uh, She says there's a huge fight right now to even keep the equestrian events in the 2012 Olympics in England. Why Uh, is that? Well, apparently the, she, she claims that the popularity of the charge is abnormally low, and there are complaints about the judging and the makeup of panels and committees. Apparently, there's all kinds of infighting, and that also because of the drugging incidents that just happened, and apparently they're very expensive to put on because of the venting area that you need and getting the horses in and taking care of the horses. There's just all this that goes into bringing the, uh, the riders into the Olympics, so apparently there's a lot of argument against keeping the the equestrian events at the Olympics. All equestrian events or just dressage? No, all she says, well actually her quote here, what did she say? Hold on one second while I take a look. She basically said that keeping show jumping in by itself, which is the most popular event, right, would be difficult. Oh, so, I guess you would need the support of all all three disciplines, show jumping, dressage, and eventing in order to keep the whole program running. I, right. I could see how that might be a problem. You but know, was it? Go ahead. But it says, you know, popularity of dressage is abnormally low. Well, what is normal? Right. What, what level of popularity is, is normal? From what I understand, the um, equestrian events had an attendance rate of something like 80% in Hong Kong, which is pretty good, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, I you know, from what I heard, it was around 155,000 spectators. Um, now, it could have been because it was one of the only Olympic s- events in Hong Kong, in the city of Hong Kong. I don't oh, know. Oh, because everything else was in Beijing? Yeah, everything else was in on the mainland. Okay. So, I, you know, you don't know that, but, but uh, you know, I got to believe that people like to watch the horses anyway. People like to watch horses. So, and, you know, dressage may not be as popular as jumping or eventing. But still, I know it looked been pretty well the, attended from what I watched on TV. And they've been in the Olympics for a long time. But, you know, this could be because there's sports that are trying to get in that are, you know, putting up a fight. In order for new sports to come in, they try and take old, old, old uh, ones unpopular out. ones out. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, I think that Princess, and I don't know how you say her name. Do you know? I don't. Haya. Princess Haya, Haya is, is how I, I say it. Um, she, What's she, she a princess is, of? She is the second wife to the, uh, I think he's referred to as the prime minister, basically the, the uh, sultan of Dubai. So, yeah, she's and she's also the daughter of, of the departed King Hussein uh, of, what was that, Syria? Oh, my gosh, you're asking the wrong girl. Yeah. So she came from royalty and married into the most uh, wealthy royalty there is in the world. Okay. 
And I'm very familiar with the Sultan of Dubai because he owns a lot of land here in Lexington. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he owns. Oh, well, no, actually not. That makes sense. They're that's into horse. They're into racehorses, and and they own many of the big farms here. They bought millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of farms here. Okay. That makes uh, as a matter of fact, it's one of the things having the Arab money in this area has helped keep uh, the area going. Some of these farms would be really hurting had there not been an influx of that money. And they they pretty much they 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 hire local people and they pretty much let the local managers run the show. And they they have uh, uh, usually have local trainers. So, you know, it's it's actually been a pretty good thing for the area. There's not a lot of complaining about it here. Okay. But yeah, so I think she's on the side of keeping the sports in. She is, herself was was a serious rider, so she's definitely for keeping the sports in. So we'll see what happens there, but it's not a given that, that we're going to have equestrian sports in 2012. So what can the average horse person do that might support the um, equestrian sports in Olympics? Is there somebody we can call or write to, or how can we ensure its safety? I don't know. That I don't know. That's well, what, why don't we find any... out, and we'll post some links on the show notes, and okay. And then and we if can... anybody does know, let us drop us an email or give us a call. Right. And I think right now that we probably, I think it looks like Anastasia's coming on the line, so we should say hi to her. Let's just talk a little bit about Anastasia before we get to her interview. Her name's Anastasia Burke. She is actually an author of a book. She writes several blogs. She has apparently a beautiful farm in Pilot Hill, California, and she has a, a... unbelievably inspiring story to tell her life has not always been easy and she's had uh, some trauma in her life that she's had to overcome and it's what she's accomplished since then that makes her story so amazing so we'll get anastasia on the line hi anastasia how are things in california this morning things are gorgeous and sunny and uh, i'm looking forward to going for a ride after this what part of california are you in we are in a place called Pilot Hill, which is a little slice of heaven, uh, just about um, six miles from where gold was discovered in 1849. And w- in north-south? It's north. North? It's north, yeah, on the American River. So when I go ride my horse, I get to go play in the river every day. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? It's, oh, it's fabulous. <laughs> well, Helena is here as well from Boston. Hi, Helena. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on what part of the country you're in. I think we've got all three parts of the country covered, don't we, Glenn? Yes, we, we do. Missed, missed the middle, or did we get the middle, too? I'm in the middle. Oh, you're <laughs> in the middle, middle. right? Yeah, connect. Okay, cool. All right, well, let's talk. There's so much to talk about with you. I think we should probably just start at the beginning. Uh, tell us a little bit about, were you a rider from, 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 from young, or did you start later in life? You know, I was one of those children that was born and, you know, came out of the womb saying, horsey, horsey. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I started riding when I was six, and I've been riding ever since, um, decades later. <clears throat> I started out um, competing in hunter-jumper shows, got my first horse when I was 10. It was this surly Arab whose uh, star moment was bucking me off when in the ring when they said canter. And then I got a sixth-place ribbon because there were six horses in the class. Right. <laughs> and I was so excited. I burst into tears. It was just, you know, it was the best thing ever. And it got me hooked. And um, I ended up uh, competing in hunter jumpers for quite some time and then switched over to eventing in my teens. Had a goal to maybe make the Olympics and actually qualify for the screening trials uh, a thousand years ago. And that was quite an experience. Oh, really? Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a terrible fall at that <laughs> event. So <laughs> I didn't, I wouldn't say it was a really great moment. However, 
there were some incredible moments during that where I learned a lot about myself and about how to think, how to be a thinking writer, that kind of thing. You rode all the way through your 20s and, and kept competing, or did you stop competing? Um, I stopped competing in my 20s for a while, but I was never really away from horses. And then I got married and had children and and um, started training. And I opened up a stable a training facility in Montero, California, which is down near Half Moon Bay on the coast, where they have the big pumpkin festival every year. Oh, yes. Did that for quite some time, and then... Well, and then fate sort of decided that I wouldn't be doing it anymore. Um, I had my first go with vision loss, uh, gosh, when I was like 32, had young kids, and I was running a training facility, and uh, um, suddenly just lost my vision one morning, and then it came back the next day, but they couldn't figure out what was wrong, and you know, Wait a minute! You just years. woke up one day and you you couldn't you see know, it all. I did. I was in. I was. In, I remember. I was lying in bed and I was reading a book in the morning, and the words just started looking like somebody had dropped water on the page, and they were getting very distorted. And then within about two hours, I couldn't see anything, and uh, they took me to the hospital. And strangely, I lost all the vision in my left eye, and then the right eye came back. And then. You know, I just obviously they were trying to figure out what was going on. And at the same time, I was going through a divorce and all sorts of things were going on. So I quit training and um, quit running this training facility. And then I lost my vision completely uh, just a few years later. The same thing happened again, just out of the blue. I was out feeding horses and bent over a grain barrel. And when I stood up, I sort of was seeing stars. And all of a sudden, everything just went black. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, it was amazingly scary. <laughs> I bet. Especially because I was alone at the time and I had to sort of crawl back to the house and it was, you know, it's pitch black. I mean, I literally had no vision at all. Wonderful little country doctor. A friend came and got me and took me to a little country doctor who, how gross can we be here? I mean, I don't want to give anybody the heebie-jeebies, but he, you know, stuck a needle in my eye, pulled out some of the pressure and then got me over to Stanford Hospital. And, uh, I, I think it, I don't think we have to worry about heebie-jeebies with horse people too much. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us well, have hit, that... hit the ground pretty hard, so we're we're, <laughs> we're good with heebie-jeebies. Haven't you ever noticed that horse people can stick a needle in their anywhere in their horse, but when it comes to themselves, they're not quite so <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm about it. So anyway, from that point on, I I spent a year in Stanford Hospital, basically in and out of treatment and. The thing that I have is called Eels disease. It's a very rare autoimmune disorder that affects only the eyes. And they just didn't know anything about it at the time. So the treatment was, you know, experimental. I was put on um, a form of chemotherapy, which, gosh, was so much fun. Um, massive doses of steroids, just, you know, anything they could think of to reduce inflammation, which is characteristic of the disease. From there, got some other problems, developed glaucoma, um, my retina started to tear. There were all sorts of things going on with my eyes. But finally, I guess after a year of that, I, I was sort of being a guinea pig. I was, felt very noble at the beginning, like, oh, I'll help them solve the, the, you know, how to treat this disease. And it, the, finally, I just went, I need a quality of life. So I accepted my blindness. And at the time, I would say, if I could describe what I saw, um, like shapes and shadows, I could navigate a little bit, but um, I went through the whole process of 
with the Peninsula Center for the Blind, who, by the way, sponsors a horse show here, a very large horse show called the Menlo Charity Show every year. And the proceeds from that go to benefit the Peninsula Center for the Blind. I believe they're called something else now, but that's what they were then. So this very enormous A show that gets all the top riders in the country uh, benefits this this uh, organization that helped me learn how to use a cane and how to boil water and how to clean my house. It's amazing if you try and close your eyes the next time you're cleaning your bathroom and see how you do. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't even like doing that with my eyes open. Yeah. yeah, well, if you saw my bathroom, you'd want to close your eyes. <laughs> so I guess I guess at that point I had maybe 20% vision is the best way I can describe it and just a lot of, you know, really, really, really blurry. And um, I also developed something called photophobia, which means I get too much light. So if I looked anywhere into the sun, it was just a whiteout. So lots of fun. <laughs> and I think, you know, that is a tragic story. And you said you were only, what, one of 40-some in the country at that point who had even... They just didn't know anything about it. And, um, you know, it's really funny that you say it's a tragic story because at the time I really felt sorry for myself. I became very depressed. I was, I was a mess. And at some point I decided that one of my kids came to visit me at the hospital, a little, little sweet boy, and he looked at me finally and he says, Mommy, what are we going to do? And I thought, wow, this kid, you know, I think I've been through it for the last year. What are my children going through? And at that point, I knew that I had to make a decision about I was either going to be depressed and sad and angry and feeling like a victim for the rest of my life, or I was going to make a change. And literally, change is its a decision. And I made the decision that day that I was going to have a different kind of life. And did you guys ever play that game when you were a little kid? Like, um, if you had a choice, would you rather be deaf or blind or have no legs? <laughs> yes, 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 everybody's that done that, I think. Yeah, and my choice would absolutely be lose my eyesight because, for me, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It's, I look at it as a total gift. It helped me um, focus on what was important. It helped me um, understand a little bit more about who I was, who I am, and what I could become instead of, um, I had a very strong sort of victim mentality at the time that things that happened to me were everybody else's fault and I was just a victim. And I was angry with my parents and, you know, I was just this angry individual. And this, losing my eyesight really got me in touch with um, the spiritual part of who we all are. And I just, I mean, to this day, I can't say enough about how grateful I am for that experience. Wow, that's, that's incredible. And I think what, the, what the, the lesson here is what you have accomplished after. I mean, you, you, you have done so much. And that's why I, at the beginning of the interview, I, I said it's, we have so much to go over because you've done so much even since then that, that is so incredible, cited or not. Uh, let's talk a little bit about where you've gone from there. You still ride. I still ride. I, I'm i one of those people, I, I feel sort of like if I, well, first of all, they're my four-legged therapists, and, you know, there's just nothing better. As uh, I believe it was Will Rogers that said, there's nothing better for the inside of a man than the outside of a horse, and boy, is that true, even so, for women. <laughs> so how do you ride? 
I'm sorry? How do you write? I know that sounds like well, a Well, there's question. a little bit more to my story, which okay. is that I, I, I um, <laughs> this was the irony of it all. Acceptance is an amazing thing because I finally got to the point where I went, okay, this is my vision. Now I'm going to learn to deal with it. And I went five years really sort of reconstructing who I was, my beliefs, my, you know, how I felt about myself internally, all sorts of things. And I went to the doctor finally as my, I hadn't been to the doctor in five years. I never wanted to see another one again. I'd been poked and prodded so much. And I, I he said, you got to go get your eyes checked. So I'm sitting in this ophthalmologist's office and I haven't been there for five years. And out of the blue, my eyes hemorrhaged. And he went, whoa, I can't deal with this. And he referred me to somebody else who is an expert in my disease. And ironically enough, I never would have known this if I hadn't hemorrhaged that day in the office, but there's so many new procedures available. And one of them um, is a steroid injection that goes directly in the eye. And we did that for about two years, and my vision improved so much. I actually even got my driver's license back, although it's extremely limited and restricted and a Probably won't get it back again in March when I go, but I hadn't driven a car in eight years. Wow! And um, now they're doing something with me. I get uh, injections into the eye every four weeks of something called a Vastin, which originally was developed to deal with colon cancer uh, tumors that helps stop leakage. So now they're putting it in my eye, so I'm officially a butthead. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, so I can actually see a little bit better than I could, you know, originally when I sort of accepted that. And, and I just, I, I thought it was just sort of interesting that once I accepted my situation, all these things started coming into play that I didn't even ask for. And they were, they came to me very ironically. And you have to look at those things and sort of go, okay, there's something out there working that's much bigger than me. Because um, so now the answer to your question is, in a long way, um, I have a standard bread that I was given off the track here at Cal Expo. She was a pacer. I was going to return her and then took her out for a trail ride here where we ride at beautiful Cronin Ranch in Pilot Hill. And I had the best ride of my entire life. I'd ridden thoroughbreds my entire life, and <laughs> I got on this horse. And she has quite a thoroughbred look to her, but she has more of a quarter horse personality. <laughs> So she was very, very quiet, and no bucking, no rearing, no craziness, and I just, I'm in love with her. She's she's quite a character. And so I'm doing, um, we're in endurance country here, and, uh, you know, they kind of suck you into it. So I'm doing a lot of distance riding right now, and I actually am back teaching a little bit, and um, the focus of my teaching obviously has changed. I can't see details and nuances as much as, uh, what would be required for someone who is competing quite heavily. But for people who are beginning riding, who want to get into horses as a way to de-stress, get back to nature, get centered mentally and physically, um, I'm the gal. <laughs> well, and a, and a, along that lines, another thing you did was write a book. I did write a book. <laughs> so tell um, us about the book. Um, now, which one are we talking about? Well, I think you wrote one uh, for kids called... Hoofprints. Yes. Hoofprints. Um, I met my wonderful, known as the best husband in the world, Craig. I met Craig nine years ago, and um, he was very much into strategic planning. And as we started talking about his work and what he did with governments and organizations to help them plan their futures, I thought, gosh, 
this is something that kids could really use for horseback riding. And basically, even, you know, from anything from wanting to compete at the nationals, uh, the Pony Club Nationals in Kentucky, to saving money to buy a horse of her own, a little girl could take this book and learn how to set a goal, what makes a good goal, what makes a bad goal, because there are bad goals and good goals, how to move forward and achieve their dreams. And it was a great, it was just great fun to write. There wasn't anything out there on the market like it. Sometimes that's been a little bit of a hard sell because there's nothing out on the market like it. Strategic planning for children is sort of a novel concept. You know, I believe in the old maxim that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And this is sort of a way of getting kids into the uh, frame of mind of thinking about goals and how to set a goal, how to create an action plan, which will be helpful not only for horseback riding, but, you know, in all aspects of their lives. Yes. Uh, and Now, what's the book called? The book is called Hoofprints. It is a goal-setting journal for young riders. It, and I did the illustrations as well. There's lots of little fat ponies and kids. Yeah, it's kind of cute, actually. And you, you, thank I didn't, you. I didn't realize you did the illustrations, too. Yeah. And uh, there's stickers in the back with a little photo album section so they can keep track of, you know, photos of all their barn pals and horses they ride and, you know, all that kind of thing. So I'm very proud of it. It was a, it was a, a work of love, but something I also felt could really change kids' lives. And I think that my, th- my thing right now is not just to teach riding, but to teach people how to believe in themselves and how to achieve any goal, whether it's riding-related or something else, music. You know, kids, you know, whether they want to become an Olympic gymnast or a baton twirler or a horseback rider or a doctor, whatever they want to achieve, I would like to think that, you know, them learning something about goal setting through hoofprints can help them achieve those other things. That's great. And now where can they, where can they get it? They can get it on Amazon or they can get it off um, my website, which I think there's a link to it on Box of Stars, which is the other book I've written. <laughs> um, if they go to www.boxofstarsanastasiaburke, which is really a big thing for me. And we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes, too, okay. for anybody who wants <laughs> to stop by. It's really long. <laughs> um, that's the second book I wrote, which is on a blog, and I post a chapter a week, and it's a book that's- about... That's where that's where I found you initially, and I thought it was so fascinating that you were doing this sort of live online horse book. Well, I, there's something called National Novel Writing Month um, that occurs in November every year, NaNoWriMo, and the goal there is that if you want, it, the goal is that there's no prizes other than you know your own mental glory that you write a fifty thousand page a fifty thousand word novel in a month. So for the entire month of November, you write every day. And I thought, well, I'm going to do it. And I started this thing kind of knowing the idea that I wanted a 14-year-old girl, and I had this idea that that there could be a book for all four years as she tries to qualify for the National Young Writers Team in eventing. So I, I wrote the novel in 30 days, and the idea there is quantity, not necessarily quality. So I did then spent the next year sort of rewriting it. And the fact is, Glenn, I'm just... I'm so busy right now that I don't even have time to really look for an agent. <laughs> Although the the novel is being considered right now by one, and we'll see what happens. Oh, but wow. Well, good luck with the, that. Well, thanks. At the time I posted, I thought, you know, my goal here was not necessarily be famous, but to write a book that was good, that 
that kids would enjoy reading. And I had it test read by about 15, 15 girls across the country who I found on EquiChat. And um, they loved it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to put it up because I just couldn't get enough of horse books when I was a kid. And and I, you know, there's a lot of girls out there. I mean, the, the character in my book, she comes from a pretty strict family. They're very supportive of her writing, but, you know, they don't let her swear. She can't own an iPod. She's a little bit of an odd duck. She's not real, you know, hip with the Internet and things like that because she's not allowed to be. And it was amazing to me. I was really surprised at how many kids said, I can totally relate to her. It sounds like my family, you know. And I, so it's really fun to have it up there and get emails from kids who say, I totally relate to this. And, and the idea of the story is that she is going to face a challenge and um, that she's going to overcome it by not through others' help, but by believing in herself and sort of learning that she has the capabilities and the intelligence and the courage within her to overcome anything that faces her. Now, how do you stay in touch with that teenage perspective on life and horses? Do you you have kids of your own, and are they teenagers? I never grew up. <laughs> <laughs> You're in, are you twelve too? I am. I'm, that's actually my husband keeps. He says, he said to me last night. He goes, "What is this thing with you and horses? Are you like a twelve-year-old girl?" <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I like yes, could, I am. <laughs> she could co-host this show. Let me tell you. I- <laughs> So you're just um, tapping into the inner child. You don't necessarily it, have, have teenage I, I'm girls. I'm not only, exactly. I have um, children. However, they're all pretty much grown now. We just sent the last one off to college at 18. So my kids are 22, 20, and, and 18. But I, you know, I have a lot of kids in my life, teenage girls and pre-teenage girls. Um, you know, I, I, there's three in particular that I'm very, very close to who um, – Heidi and Mariah and Tasha, who keep me in tune with what's going on, what's hip. And also, I had a, a gal named um, Keely who lives out um, on the East Coast who read my book diligently and would write me back and say, Well, I would change this or that. And, and she just really kept me in touch. And she's been a huge inspiration to me and a great guide. So it's, it's been really neat going through this process and having these kids be involved in it. It's amazing that you can continue to learn from the children around you, you know. Well, I I think that it's probably really trite to say it, but unless you commit to being a life learner, um, you know, you lose what life is about a lot. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it's really important to keep an open mind and not think you know it all. In fact, I just wrote an article the other day for my other blog, which is an adult blog called best horse. I talked about how I have this very, very good friend who is also my trainer named Natalie Guillon, who is an incredible inspiration to me. She came over here from France. She did not speak any English at all. She had, in France, you cannot teach unless you actually go through like a four-year college program. So she did all that, and she uh, she's very, very good at what she does. But she came over here without any language, without knowing anybody and to this day she now uh, is the trainer for the Redwood Pony Club in Marin County and she's you know taking her kids to nationals and all this kind of stuff but the reason I admire her so much is because she to me has so much knowledge and yet she's always open to asking questions I think that I wrote an article about that the other day just because I, I know that there is uh, you can often run into horse people who I say this nicely, feel compelled to give you advice that you didn't ask for. (laughs) 
and that kind of know-it-all type of horse person. We, we don't know anybody like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of want to be the kind of horse person that's really willing to take advice, and even when it's unsolicited, and, and keep an open mind, because that's how we learn. Like now, I'm I'm surrounded by endurance people, and I've been an eventer all my life, and I'm kind of switching my my uh, discipline right now. And um, it's been very interesting because I don't know anything about the sport. I really don't. I know how to get out on a trail and trot. But, you know, there's a lot of things about it that are very different from, say, dressage, where you have a lot of contact with the horse. In endurance, you want to have your horse on a long, loose rein and let them find the trail instead of guiding them. And that, for me, has been a, um, a metaphor for life. <laughs> Right, right. Well, the first thing you need to learn is that uh, usually they don't use standard breads. No, they don't. <laughs> they actually don't. But you, you know what? Everybody that sees my horse and watches her walk says, hmm, that could be a good thing. So <laughs> I'm never going to be one of these people that does the Tevis and is riding at midnight and, uh, you know, on a single track trail with a cliff on one side and a mountain on the other. You know, it's it's been really fun to, to get into this and, and learn something new, especially at my age. So. I mean, you've done all this stuff even even since the the blindness. What, what was that? Uh, maybe fifteen years ago now. Uh, it's uh, been twelve years. Yeah. Twelve years ago, you've done all this stuff. You have the you have what two blogs? You have you're writing a book online. You've written other books, and what is this about a vacation horse vacation? <laughs> I mean, you've had kids. You've had you have a new husband, and now uh, you, you let me know about horsevacation.blogspot.com. Now, what's that? Okay, well, he's an old husband now, so... Oh. <laughs> I mean, he's not old, but he's, you know... I, mean, we've been I hope he doesn't listen now. to this, Helena. <laughs> <laughs> but he is the, the best husband in the world. That is That's the right. best husband in the world. That's he, what all my friends call him. He's the because every old best husband him. in the world. And you know what? It takes time to earn that, that title. Oh, he got so. it even before we were married. <laughs> He's, he is, absolutely. That's one of those little gifts from God, I think, that uh, I've been very, very blessed. So the horse vacation is that we moved from Marin County up to this little slice of heaven. We bought this house three years ago, and then we're waiting for our last child to get out of high school so we can get out of Dodge. And so the place that we bought, um, we have a cottage on it that we renovated, um, just ripped the place apart down to the concrete foundation and rebuilt it. And it is a little uh, cowboy cottage, all decorated with, you know, cowboy memorabilia. And you can bring your horse here to vacation and go ride on these 1,800 acres of absolutely pristine, gorgeous trails that can go forever. And actually, yeah, and the Tevis Trail is about 10 minutes from our house as well. So you can come here and trailer and and there's a lot of people that come from all over the world to ride here. So we've kind of run, that's going to be our little retirement thing is, is this little cottage that, you know, you can use our horses and I'll take you out for a trail ride or you can bring your own. Hey, Helena, I see a live interview in our future in California. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll call it research first. Yes, that's right. Excellent. Then we'll have to go back for the interview. Excellent. Over and over and over again because we'll keep messing it up. Excellent. And then we'll put you on a standard bread, Glenn. And you oh, there you go. The you there you go. Can I be see. behind the standard bread? I'm a driver, not a rider. I, well, I, actually, Glenn, Jennifer, your wife, is a big fan of standard breads, yes, she, especially X-Racing standard breads. She likes the jugheads. And yours does not look like a jughead, I have to say. No, she's not a jughead, although <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, and, boy, don't you know, she'll let you know that she isn't either. She, <laughs> she thinks she's quite special. 
<laughs> and is that the one you have the picture of with you leaning over uh, yeah. on the website? We'll put that on in our show notes as well so people can see uh, Yeah, can that's Miss Cordelia. Uh, she raced. Uh, she was a pacer, and she still thinks she is sometimes. It's, there's nothing better than being out on the trail cantering and having her switch into the pace, which is um, <clears throat> you got to ride it. <laughs> no. Yes, yes. <laughs> You know, it's lateral trotting, and so it. And hers is very big, so I've heard people say, "Oh no, you can just sit it. It's wonderful." No, not on this horse, you can't. But uh, it's. It just always makes me laugh. I just find it extremely funny. Actually, the. the, Go ahead. I'm sorry. It brings me to an interesting question. And um, when you're when you're out, out riding on the trails, how does your current vision? How does that work? Do you are you able to see enough? Like you said, when you're out riding, the, you let the horse actually you're riding on a loose rein and you sort of let them pick their way. How does that work in terms of the relationship between you and your mount? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, first of all, my vision has improved to the point where I have maybe mm, I waver between being legally blind and having twenty seventy vision, which um, I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but... That means everything's really, really blurry. Everything is really blurry. And uh, so when I'm trotting or, you know, I do let the horse sort of take over for me, and I'm very focused on the horse's ears and, and head because I can't see deer or anything like that that they might be looking at. So I'm just, I'm extremely aware of the horse's body language, um, definitely. And I think that... I noticed when I started riding, um, again, after I lost my vision, that I was much more in tune with the horse's body and also more relaxed, oddly enough, because I just felt like I really had to center my thoughts much more on the horse instead of, I don't know, you know, what my instructor was thinking about me. Or instead of I was, where you were going, yeah. Yeah, um, so out on the trail, uh, now, uh, the person that gave me Cordelia, actually, <laughs> the person that bred her, had another horse that just came to our house about four weeks ago. You know, these horses, they're amazing. They're just amazing. The horse had never had a saddle on his back, and we put a saddle on him that day. Five days later, I was standing up on top of him, you know, and he's just standing there. He's so quiet. He's five years old. You could, you know, my last thoroughbred, no way. (laughs) No way would that happen. And so I took him out the other day and uh, a deer or something, I'm not sure what it was. It might've been a coyote. I couldn't tell, uh, darted in front of us and this little horse took off, you know, and I just kind of trust the horse that they know what they're doing a little bit more than I do. But at the same time, I think when you're the kind of rider that I am and you have limited vision or you have limited anything, you need to make sure that you are on a horse that is trustworthy, you know, so that you have more of a partnership. The horse that's on the back cover of Hoofprints was my dream horse, um, who is the inspiration for Finnegan in Box of Stars. Um, Steel gray thoroughbred, absolutely gorgeous. He was going to be my event horse. I decided I was going to go back and do eventing. I was considering doing Paralympic dressage riding. And when we decided to move, um, there just isn't quite the setup here yet for all that. And so um, it became very clear to me on a trail ride that this was a horse who belonged in the show ring and not out on the trails. And so it's, it's really nice to have these other two standard breads because they're just very reliable, very tractable 
Well, that's great. Hey, I'll tell you what, this has been a great interview. It's been so nice having you on here. Uh, We have somebody else, a good friend of ours that we've interviewed before by the name of Michael Richardson, who actually trains from a wheelchair. He lost use of his legs when he was 19. And he is the most positive, upbeat, inspirational person you'll ever want to talk to. And you're the same way. And we're uh, we'd love to have you back again sometime. Thank you very much. I This has been really enjoyable, and I think it's great what you guys are doing. I listen to podcasts every day while I'm cleaning out my stalls, so this will be my new podcast. Well, there you go. Now you have a horsey one to listen to. Excellent. Yes, exactly, and I'll spread the word definitely. And I guess, I guess the thing that I always – it's hard to spend, you know, all this time talking about myself because I really think that – the reason that I went through this vision loss was to help other people understand as and go through the process that I did without quite so much pain and agony, perhaps, that whatever limitations, <clears throat> excuse me, that you think you have, they're just thoughts. And that really, if you learn to change your thinking, and there's so many great techniques that I have now to help people do that, that anything, literally anything, is truly possible. And um, I think that's the thing that people really need to understand, whether it's, um, you know, learning how to sit the trot or achieving some really huge goal in life, uh, it's all about your thinking. So I just really appreciate you guys taking the time to, you know, talk to me. Oh, it was absolutely enjoyable. Great. Well, listen, um, I'll keep in touch and spread the word about your show. And I uh, just really appreciate you guys doing such a great work with the podcast. And, and, and I want to mention that we're going to put all of your many links. There's too many for people to remember There's from the podcast. Many. That's right. <laughs> so we'll put all of those in the show notes at stablescoop.com so they can go great. find your book and your blogs and, and everything else you've got going there. Or if they want to stay in your cabin up there in California, which is the one I'm going to put my favorites for the next trip <laughs> to California. <laughs> so, all right, Anastasia. Anastasia, you have a great Thank day. Thank you guys so much. Thanks you again. Have a great have a day. Great day. day. We'll spread the word on the old stable scoop. Okay, thanks. Well, we certainly appreciate Anastasia being on here this week, and we're kind of running out of time for this week's show, so we'll just pass the voicemails and emails that we have for this week on to next week. Be sure you listen next week. We'll have a lot more good stuff for you. We'll be talking about Burley, I'm sure. And... Be sure to check out our show notes at stablescoop.com for episode four. You'll find all the links that we talked about today, and especially all Anastasia's links. You just heard how many different things she has going on. If you want to check them out, go to the show notes. We also have our blogs. Uh, Helena and I do blogs at stablescoop.com. You can send us feedback by email at geeks at horseradionetwork.com. That's G-E-E-K-S. We couldn't have made that any harder. <laughs> G-E-E-K-S at horseradionetwork.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 270-803-0025 and don't forget if you can also send us if you have local news that you want us to talk about um, or a stable or organization that you think is worthy of being highlighted or just talked about leave that on our voicemail or send us an email we'd be happy to talk about that stuff too All right, great. See you next week, Alina. And get the scoop.